Welcome to the press conference for the Johnson County Emergency Operations Center for Tuesday, April 28th. I'm Kelly Andreessen, Public Information Officer for Johnson County. Thank you to those in the media reporting on this, to our community partners who are participating today, and for those of you who are watching online. Just a few reminders, we are streaming this live on Iowa City City Channel 4's YouTube page and on the Johnson County Public Health Facebook page. We are practicing social distancing, so we have limited the number of people in the room. For those purposes, we have a few speakers participating via Zoom. And for those who are here in person, I'll bring in each speaker one at a time. Um, so every participant will make their statement and then we'll open it up for Q&A for those individuals. If you do have any follow-up questions, uh, reporters, please touch base with us after the press conference and we'll connect you with them. Uh, and as we have the last few weeks, we're taking questions from reporters virtually. We will uh, ask every question and we'll ask it as we have received it. So thank you for your patience and flexibility. Uh, with that, we will get started uh, with Dr. Teresa Brennan, Chief Medical Officer of University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics. Dr. Brennan, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Kelly. Thanks for having me. Um, I'd like to start out with a couple of prepared remarks and then happy to take uh, questions. So as of last night, um, we had uh, 27 adult inpatients and one pediatric inpatient. Um, that gets, gives a total calendar year to date of 119 patients, um, inpatient adults COVID positive and three um, total inpatient uh, pediatric patients. Um, regarding the uh, governor's announcement of the ability for hospitals to resume elective um, uh, surgeries, we are resuming surgeries that we consider to be essential. Um, we have laid the foundation to um, create a safe environment for our patients and for our staff, um, and have really worked hard to have all necessary precautions in place to help to make sure that everyone is as safe as possible. Um, we will continue to limit visitors. Um, we are screening everyone who comes in the hospital, including our staff, both for symptoms and for uh, fever. Um, and we continue to uh, maintain social distancing. All of these safety measures have been put in place um, so that we can continue to provide a safe uh, environment for our, our patients and staff. Um, and though I'm not wearing it today, we um, do have all of our staff in face shields. Um, all of our staff who are in front of patients are wearing medical masks. Um, and those staff that are not um, taking care of, directly taking care of patients have the option of wearing a cloth mask. Um, we are beginning to coordinate a ramp up in these uh, surgeries. Um, this requires a lot of coordination. We will be working with patients. We will be doing pre-surgical screenings, um, including uh, COVID testing, um, making sure that our staff are all available as we've deployed many of our staff, we're pulling them back into their normal duties. Um, and we're looking at the number of procedures that we can um, do safely and that we have hospital beds for. Um, most important, um, we will maintain um, uh, the PPE needed to protect our, our staff um, during this time. Um, I'm happy to take any questions. All right, Dr. Brennan, we have a few questions from Ryan Foley with the Associated Press. How many COVID-19 tests can UIHC's in-house lab run in a day? And do you have plans or ability to scale up your testing program to serve a broader population as the state moves to reopen? So our, our testing um, has not been a problem since we've begun doing it on our own in our own lab. Um, we can do upwards of 400 tests per day. 
Um, we um, are, have broadened our scope uh, a bit with doing asymptomatic testing prior to any procedures and um, surgical um, uh, surgeries uh, and uh, uh, for those that are asymptomatic um, and have broadened the scope um, to include uh, patients who wouldn't have been tested by the guidelines um, earlier in this, in this outbreak. Uh, relatedly, another question from Ryan, is UIHC planning to play any role in the new test Iowa program that has been launched? Um, at this point in time, we, we're not playing a direct role in test Iowa. Uh, we have a few questions from Kate Payne with Iowa Public Radio. How do you anticipate the phased reopening of nearby counties will impact the spread of the virus in eastern Iowa, and how could that affect surge capacity in Johnson County? Yeah, reopening certainly um, could affect the spread. Uh, we hope that people are taking great precautions, continuing to wash their hands, um, continuing to do social distancing, wearing masks when appropriate, cloth masks um, as necessary. Um, we have seen outbreaks in um, some facilities in, in the area and also uh, in uh, processing plants. Um, the, those uh, outbreaks could continue. So we, we continue to be prepared for a surge. Um, we've had a pretty steady inpatient um, uh, flow of patients uh, for the last several weeks, not really spiking at all. Um, but we have a surge plan that uh, is capable of, of increasing our numbers. And another question from Kate, are your providers seeing a trend of happy hypoxia of COVID patients' oxygen levels dropping dangerously low without them realizing? And is this something people should monitor for in addition to well-established symptoms of fever and cough? Yeah, we've certainly heard this from our providers um, that patients will look quite good and their oxygen levels um, will be lower than um, one would like to see. Um, so we have seen it. I'm not sure if it's a trend. Um, uh, I can also say that our home treatment team has from the beginning provided pulse oximeters for our patients. Um, so we also see the opposite. We see sometimes patients will feel short of breath um, when their oxygen levels actually are quite good. Um, so I think it's really important that whether patients are in their own home or they're here, that we're monitoring both their symptoms as well as their oxygen levels. Um, and we've been able to do that. Uh, we have a few questions from Sarah Watson with The Daily Iowan. Uh, what kind of precautions are you recommending for people who have recovered from the virus? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that um, as people recover, they need to give themselves good time. I think the CDC recommendations of monitoring for symptoms um, and for fever uh, tell us when someone could potentially come back into society. Um, but I think it's really important as we've seen that patients go through this, they become uh, quite fatigued um, and this, this infection can take uh, a bit of a toll on them. So really important that they allow themselves to recover. Um, from the standpoint of uh, precautions, meaning mask, face shield, et cetera, um, we are asking them to continue to do the same things that everyone else is doing. Um, I think it's important until we know the kind of immunity someone has, um, as well um, as um, it, it creates a, a, a bit of a challenge when some people are doing things um, that we require, like wearing their face shields or wearing face masks, um, and others are not because they potentially have had the virus. It became, becomes a bit of a challenge. So we are actually asking all of our um, employees um, uh, who have gotten the virus that they continue to follow all of our necessary safety precautions. 
Uh, another question from uh, Sarah with the Daily Iowan. At Governor Reynolds' press conference on April 23rd, she mentioned that she had shared with other governors the partnership Iowa has with ISU and the UI to conduct serology testing to help determine immunity. I know that the UI has been exploring this sort of antibody testing for a while, but I don't recall any mention previously of a partnership with the state. Is there a formal partnership or a contract with the UI the UI has with Iowa to advance these tests? Um, I'm aware that, that we've had conversations with the CDC and, and others. I do not know of any partnership specifically with the state. That does not mean that we're not working together with the state when they need us. Uh, we have a question from Travis Brees with KWWL. Has UIHC gotten all of its inpatient COVID-19 patients on either convalescent plasma or remdesivir treatments? And can you say if any people on one of those treatments have been cleared and left the hospital? Um, as, as previously, I'll start with the second part of the question. We haven't released any specific information um, in order to protect the privacy of the patients. Regarding the first question, I can tell you that not all patients have been enrolled um, in these research trials. They, they are research, and so the patients have options um, of whether they, can, uh, whether they wish to choose to be a part of a research study or not. Um, I will also say that, that some um, treatments are uh, exclusions. For example, if a patient is, has been on hydroxychloroquine or chloroquine, um, they are not a candidate for uh, some of the remdesivir trials. And so those exclusions might have prohibited patients from being a part of them. Uh, and a few questions from Vanessa Miller from the Gazette. Um, has the UIHC started taking plasma donations? How many donors have given? How many patients have received donor plasma? And what impact has that had for those patients? Um, yes, Vanessa, we are taking uh, donations. So patients um, have the ability once they've convalesced, um, meaning they have uh, negative tests or they've met a 28 day from the time of, of symptoms um, uh, time period, they are eligible to give plasma. And we have been very fortunate that, um, you know, I've said multiple times that Iowans are good, they're good people, and um, many people have stepped step forward to donate. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me right now, but I'm sure that that our uh, team could could work with you to get the numbers that that we've delivered plasma donation, um, convalescent plasma to our patients. This has a few follow-up questions. What is UIHC's antibody testing capacity? And does UIHC yet have capacity for potential plasma donors who have not tested positive for COVID to come in and be tested for antibodies to see if they can potentially give? It's a really good question. Um, so we are in the process of acquiring um, the serology test um, equipment. It will require us to validate those. So we are not in the position right now to test for, for antibodies. Um, when we are, um, we, we will uh, discuss whether we're um, uh, interested in having people be tested in order to be plasma donors. All right. Uh, it looks like we don't have any more questions, but as you know, with the lag, we're going to give it just a couple seconds to see if we get any additional. Great. Great. Thanks. Thanks. All right. It looks like we're good. Thank you so much, Dr. Brennan. Great. Have a great day. Thanks so much.
All right, next up, we have Margaret Reese, Public Information Officer with Mercy Iowa City. Good afternoon, Margaret. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Kelly. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, as of 8 a.m. today, we had six patients who are positive and five who were awaiting test results uh, in the hospital. And this is day 51 of Mercy's COVID-19 response. The governor's proclamation on Friday that permits a slow return to elective surgeries and procedures to begin being performed came with many restrictions, which are appropriate. Uh, Mercy Iowa City's top priority is the safety of our patients, physicians, and colleagues. We have reviewed the governor's proclamation in detail, as well as healthcare association recommendations, such as those from the American College of Surgeons, and we are taking a prudent approach. As we gradually return to elective surgeries and procedures beginning on Monday of next week, May 4th, in addition to the emergency surgeries we have continued to perform throughout this period of time, we are considering many factors. These include COVID-19 case numbers, access to testing, PPE supply numbers, medication supplies, capacity, and more. Mercy Iowa City is committed to ensuring the safest possible care environment to meet the healthcare needs of our communities. It is also important not to delay care and we do not want patients to delay necessary care. Patients will be safe if they come to the hospital for emergency care or visit their provider in the clinic. Every possible precaution is in place to protect patients and caregivers. And now that we will return to surgeries and procedures that have been delayed, we will be able to care for those whose needs may not now be an emergency but are still necessary and could worsen without care. This week, we began rapid testing in the hospital with results within an hour. So patients who need to be admitted and or require emergency surgery will quickly receive the appropriate level of care. These quick results also help us to conserve PPE. Mercy is now also enrolled in the Mayo Clinic Convalescent Plasma for the Treatment of Patients with COVID-19 program a research study to see if plasma from someone who has recovered from COVID-19 has substances that could improve chances of recovery in someone else. The results of this study are very, very promising. Only patients who are referred by their healthcare provider are able to participate in this protocol. Our physicians were able to successfully administer plasma to one patient so far last week who is now doing well. Patients may be eligible to donate plasma if they are symptom-free 28 days after testing positive and the test was confirmed by their provider. The patient's provider must refer appropriate patients and there are protocols and a process for this. And we have a process in place to reach out to those individuals who were cared for by Mercy and are eligible to donate plasma. We also want to thank the many individuals and businesses for the many donations of cloth masks, other supplies, and meals for our employees uh, that we continue to receive. They mean so much to everyone. We appreciate these many contributions and continued donations of cloth masks and gowns, and we are now supplying masks to patients who present for care in the hospital. They may be coming in for a test in the lab or radiology, they're coming to maternal child for a test or even to deliver surgery, the emergency room and so forth, and to visitors who screen negative for COVID-19. So those cloth masks are, are very important and are really appreciated and still much needed. 
We continue to encourage people to remain calm and continue to follow the precautions of social distancing, wearing a cloth mask when they are with others, washing hands often, and cleaning surfaces often. It is essential to continue to follow all of these precautions because by doing so, each individual can make a positive difference in slowing this virus. We would like to see the number of those infected decrease and by following the precautions, each individual will help to do this. So those are my prepared remarks. Thanks, Margaret. We have a few questions uh, from Kate Payne with Iowa Public Radio. They're the same questions that uh, she asked of Dr. Brennan. Okay. How do you anticipate the phase reopening of nearby counties will impact the spread of the virus in Eastern Iowa and how could that affect surge capacity in Johnson County? Uh, if people uh, are not careful in following precautions and continuing to avoid um, large groups and hopefully staying home as much as possible and so forth, uh, the chance of uh, an uptick is very, very great. So we hope people will continue to be very responsible and take the precautions. Um, as I said, we would like to see a decrease, not an increase, but we are making all of our plans as we go forward so that we are prepared to care for those patients who may present uh, with COVID-19 or who are suspected to have COVID-19, as well as take care of the patients uh, who, who really need to come in uh, and be seen, the things that we can't put off any longer. It's a balancing act, uh, but we are um, very, very hopeful that people will continue uh, to follow precautions and be very, very careful and just know that the virus is there. It has not gone away. Uh, it's probably not going away for a very long time uh, and we all need to be careful. From Kate, are your providers seeing a trend of happy hypoxia of COVID patients' oxygen levels dropping dangerously low without them realizing? And is this something people should monitor for in addition to well-established symptoms of fever and cough? And this is a question that Kate, I would have to get back to you on if you want to reach out to me directly. Yes, we are noticing that, but I am I'm not able to give you information uh, beyond that. Uh, we have a few questions from Sarah Watson with The Daily Iowan. Um, is Mercy Iowa City planning to resume elective surgeries? And if so, what led to that decision? Yes, we are planning to uh, resume uh, on a very slow ramp up uh, beginning on Monday of next week, May 4th. Uh, it, it's, it, it, it's critical to do so for very many reasons. We have patients who have been waiting a long time for things that while they're not an emergency now, as I said previously, they could become an emergency. Uh, and, and people who are uh, in pain, uh, they are uncomfortable, they have health conditions that need to be addressed. Uh, and so we are definitely going to start um, performing those elective surgeries. But again, this will ramp up very slowly because we have made uh, many changes in our facility to be able to continue to care safely for patients who present with COVID-19 or who are suspected to have COVID-19. Uh, and so it, it changes uh, the makeup that we have for capacity. We have to have appropriate staff to be able to handle all of these things. We have to have the space in our uh, intensive care unit. We have to have the PPE to be able to take care of uh, patients who are suspected of having or who do have COVID-19, uh, as well as those patients who will be receiving surgery. We need to have the medications uh, that can be used in both populations and have an adequate supply of that. And supplies of everything continue 
continues to be uh, an issue. And also testing capacity continues to be an issue here and everywhere else. So um, we will resume surgeries. It's essential that we do so. It will be a slow ramp up and it will be done with every possible precaution so that we're able to meet, meet the needs of everybody uh, who needs us. And we have a few questions from Travis Brees with KWWL. Where did the rapid testing kits you mentioned come from? And are you trying to switch exclusively to that route? Uh, we are not able to switch exclusively to that. Uh, we have converted uh, one of the machines that we have in-house to be able to process those swabs. They are the same swabs as we have uh, available to send to the state hygienic lab or uh, to the, the resource lab that we use, which is called Quest. Uh, so it's a matter of, of the supply that we are given on a weekly or biweekly basis uh, and making sure that we have some reserve for each of those uh, uh, places to have the testing done, uh, to be able to have them available in our uh, uh, drive-up testing area and our uh, acute respiratory clinic area where we direct patients, and also uh, in the emergency room, and then also for uh, testing patients who may be being discharged, uh, patients uh, who will be receiving surgeries and so forth. We have an allocation of swabs that we get, as I said, every week or every other week. Uh, and we have to make those last, we have to use them across all the sources. So while it would be wonderful to be able to do the rapid testing uh, in-house on an ongoing basis, that the ability is just not there and it doesn't have anything to do with our ability, it's, it's what we have to work with, uh, which is the same situation that most hospitals uh, face at this time. Another question from Travis. How effectively are you able to social distance healthcare workers, and could that become harder when resuming elective surgeries? Um, I would say that in terms of the surgeries, that not only are, are the healthcare practitioners screened every day, we're screened at the beginning of our shift, we were screened when we leave at the end of the day, uh, but they would be suited up in all of the appropriate PPE and uh, keeping social distancing as much as possible. Um, in, uh, and we have also converted two of our ORs to negative airflow, uh, which would be necessary, and, and we, we're using them now for certain patients. So I don't see that as being an issue. We have been performing surgeries all along, the ones that present an emergency uh, basis. So uh, I, I don't think that that's going to be an issue for us. All right. Uh, one more question from Travis. Do you have enough tests to test asymptomatic patients who come in for an elective surgery like a hip replacement in the coming weeks? Uh, yes, we will be able to do that. So again, we are reserving what we need to test appropriately those patients uh, who need to be before an elective procedure. Okay, it looks like we don't have any more questions, but again, we're, we're gonna give it a couple of seconds to see if we receive any more. Okay, thank you. Thank you. All right, I think we're good. Thank you, Margaret. Have a good afternoon. Thank, thank, thank you, Kelly, and thank you, everyone. We appreciate the opportunity to chat with you. Bye-bye. And our last participant on Zoom is Matt Hubbard. He is Recreation Center Supervisor with Coralville Parks and Recreation Department. Good afternoon, Matt. Thanks for joining us. Good afternoon. Thanks for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Uh, 
The uh, city of Coralville uh, understands the importance of access to uh, fresh local produce for the community, uh, as well as the importance of supporting our vendors who grow that produce for us. Um, and as such, the city of Coralville is planning to open the Coralville Farmer's Market on Monday, May 18th, uh, from 5 to 7 p.m. Uh, in the Coralville Community Aquatic Center parking lot. Uh, it's the same time and location as our market is typically held. Uh, the open air nature of our market and the space available to spread out vendors and customers will help us reduce the risk of exposure uh, for customers and for vendors as well as staff. Um, our market will operate in compliance with Governor Reynolds' proclamation on Friday, April 24th, uh, including uh, allowing only the sale of farm and take-home food, food products. Uh, we will not allow the sale of any prepared foods to be consumed on site. Uh, no arts and crafts or jewelry or uh, services of any kind will be provided at the market. Uh, we also will not have any music or special events at the market until further notice. Um, we are going to alter the market layout from what we typically do, uh, and that will allow for both uh, drive-through pickup service as well as walk-up customers. Um, we do have uh, some customers who frequent the market uh, from the immediate vicinity around the area, uh, and we want to make sure that they have access to it as well if they don't drive. Um, but we will encourage as many customers as possible to utilize the drive-through service. Customers will be able to place orders with individual vendors prior to the market each day, uh, and that will allow for minimal contact pickup of their products. Um, we will post a list of vendors who are accepting pre-orders, uh, typically about a week before each market day. And that list will be posted on the City of Coralville website on the Farmer's Market page, as well as the Coralville Farmer's Market Facebook page. We encourage our vendors to sell pre-packaged goods whenever possible. If they can have their, their items already packaged and ready to go, that will minimize handling. Uh, we also encourage our vendors to utilize any touchless pay options that are available to them whenever possible, to, again, to minimize the exchange of physical money. Uh, we will post signs at the market restricting the number of walk-up customers in the market area at one time. Uh, we will mark out customer queuing locations to ensure physical distancing and will require customers to maintain a minimum of uh, six feet of distance at all times. In addition, we'll provide hand sanitizing stations at both the north and south ends of the market area. And we will recommend that all customers and vendors follow the Center for Disease Control guidelines for wearing masks and gloves. And I believe that's all I have for you at this time. Matt, just a few questions. Um, now that the, the number of vendors is going to be changed based on what they sell, do you have any idea how many vendors will be participating in, in this season's farmer's market or how many you'll have at any given time? Uh, I don't yet know that. Um, it will, uh, typically our market is operated as a drop-in market for vendors. They're allowed to show up and, and claim an open space uh, on a market day. So. Um, moving forward under this plan, we'll have to coordinate the, the type of vendors, obviously, as well as the number of vendors um, so that we can ensure adequate spacing at the market. 
so at this time, I don't know uh, which vendors will participate, uh, nor do I know how many will participate. You also mentioned um, spacing of the vendors. Uh, are you going to be modifying that? And if so, how will you be doing that? We will be modifying, uh, yes, we will be modifying that um, from how we typically set up our market. Uh, we will mark out vendor stall locations uh, with space um, delineated in between the, the stalls. Uh, so that they're spaced out with a minimum of six feet of distance between their spaces. So it doesn't look like we have any further questions, but we do have a, a couple second lag. Uh, so we'll wait for a little bit and then uh, see if we receive any more questions. All right, looks like we don't have any more questions. Thank you so much, Matt. We appreciate you participating. Thank you. Uh, and next up, we have Julie Seidel-Johnson, Director of Iowa City Parks and Recreation. Good afternoon. The Iowa City Farmers Market has several different options available right now for people that are wishing to purchase things from our farmers market vendors. Our in-person market will be delayed until at least July 4th. But right now on the Iowa City Farmers Market webpage, there is a listing of vendors that are typically at our market along with their contact information and availability to take orders and make deliveries to customers that would like to make purchases now. In addition, beginning on May 1st, we will have an online ordering option for many of our vendors, of uh, the farm produce vendors, that will allow residents to go online, make their purchase, pay for the purchase online, and then come through a contact-free delivery station on Saturday mornings um, in the Chauncey Swan parking ramp in Iowa City. Uh, we're very fortunate to be working with Field to Family in cooperation on this, which will allow individuals to purchase from multiple vendors in one order, make one payment online, and then, as I said, do one pickup of their box of goods in a contact free environment. We're also able to take SNAP benefits this way so people that have SNAP benefits will be able to continue to purchase fruits and vegetables from the market. The only vendors available for this will be vendors, our food vendors. However, on the, face, on the Facebook page and the web page is all the contact information for our, our artisan vendors as we know those are very popular as well. Thanks. So, the, Julie, uh, the same question that was asked of Matt, um, you, you know, the, the limited vendors, do you know on any given uh, farmer's market how many vendors you'll actually have participating? We do not have that yet since we are delaying our actual in-person market until July 4th. I do know that right now we have about 23 vendors who have signed up for the online 
option, which begins May 1st. Um, but then we also have about 100 listed with contact information on the web page. So although maybe not at the market, they're all very accessible to a lot of people. All right, we're going to give it a couple seconds. Looks like uh, you did a good job of answering all the questions, but we'll see if we have any more. All right, it looks like we don't have any further questions. Thanks, Julie. All right, next up we have Travis Wipert, Johnson County Auditor and Commissioner of Elections. Afternoon all. Um, I'm just here to talk a little bit about the June primary coming up on June 2nd. We just want to remind folks that the election is on, it will be on, it's not going to change. Um, you should be receiving in the mail this week um, absentee request forms. Um, they're going to look like this, coming from the Secretary of State's office. Uh, what we're asking folks to do is please, please, please this time vote absentee if you can. Anything you can do to help us and our workers not come in contact with the public, we would greatly appreciate that. Um, another thing, if you do have to go on election day to vote, we're asking that you double check your polling sites. Uh, we've shrunk the number of polling sites from 57 to 46 to try to accommodate um, hopefully what'll be less in-person voting. Um, the sites we decided to uh, eliminate, at least for this election, we did that based on all the data and metrics we've built throughout the years, knowing how and where people vote. So it wasn't just random pull it out of the hat type stuff. Um, if you do come out to the polls on June 2nd, we're going to do everything we can to ensure you're safe. Our workers will have full protective gear on. We ask the public to make sure you're six feet apart, wash your hands before you come in. Um, outside of that, that you know, it's for us, it's kind of business as usual. So I'd be happy to take any questions. Hey, Travis, this question is from Sarah Watson at the Daily Iowan. How many absentee ballot requests has the auditor's office received so far? Um, I would say around two to 3,000. Now, when this hits, when I say this hits, the mailer from the Secretary of State's office, we're expecting that number in one day to probably be four or 5,000. So we're ex our plan is we'll be working Saturday and Monday as they start to roll in.
All right. It looks like we have no further questions. All Thanks, right. Travis. Thank you. And finally, to wrap things up, we have Sam Jarvis, Community Health Manager for Johnson County Public Health. Thank you. <clears throat> Good afternoon. For today, our numbers stand at 448 active cases to date, with 232 of those having recovered. We wanted to address the changes that will be occurring across Iowa and what that means for Johnson County. While Johnson County, along with 22 other counties, are not included in the partial reopening occurring later this week, we know that residents have friends and family uh, in those other counties and have questions and concerns. So it's important to remember to continue to implement all of the hard work we're doing now, regardless of where you live. COVID-19 is a part of our lives and will continue to be part of our lives. Until we have a vaccine, balancing social distancing, hand hygiene, and cough etiquette is our best tool to fight and continue fighting COVID-19. The guidance for Johnson County is still the same as it was before to avoid non-essential travel and to stay home if you can. If you can't maintain social distancing, please wear a mask uh, while you're out in public to protect others. At this time, it is unknown if that will change after the end of the current proclamation in place. While the governor eased restrictions beginning May 1st across the entire state on spiritual and religious gatherings, uh, including regular worship, uh, staying home is still be the best way to limit your exposure to risk and others from contracting COVID-19. We recognize how difficult that is, and we're asking everyone to continue to remember why we're doing all of this, and that's to protect each other. If you choose to hold or attend services, you're taking on a higher level of risk and potentially putting others at greater risk than they are. We'd ask and continue to ask that everyone make social distancing, hand hygiene, and cough etiquette a part of their day-to-day -day practice, and consider other items like remote or audio services or smaller smaller in-person services. Thank you. And with that, I'll take any questions. This question is from Michaela at the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Are public health officials considering increased testing for staff at long-term care facilities to ensure an outbreak doesn't occur in the county? And would frequent retesting of this staff be beneficial to stopping an outbreak before it, before it occurs? We've seen a large amount of success with our long-term care and assisted living facilities here in Johnson County due to our enhanced coordination and communication that we've had and established every day uh, since this began. Uh, in regards to testing, uh, it's good to remember that testing is a cross-section in time. And so while it may cover uh, previous, exposure, um, uh, previous exposures, um, whether uh, from uh, other visitors or staff or however, um, you know, it, it's, it's a tool uh, to, to be able to determine whether or not someone's been uh, exposed. Um, in terms of the, the long-term care testing, that's a decision by the state, um, primarily based on outbreaks. So. Okay, another question from Michaela at the Gazette. A strike team was sent by the state to Tama County to conduct tests at a long-term care facility there. Would Johnson County utilize this resource, or does, this, or does the department have the resources to address an outbreak should one happen locally? We would have the resources available locally to, to address that. But uh, again, those task force are assigned by the state uh, in response to outbreaks. So that'd be uh, us coordinating with the state health department. 
Okay, it's a question from Kate Payne at um, IPR. Will Johnson County Public Health be releasing demographic data of confirmed cases as Lynn County is doing? At this point in time, we don't have a plan to do so, but we're looking into that. Okay, this question is from Adam at KCRG. What is your message to people from Johnson County who might want to travel to an open county for a restaurant or, or other service being allowed to reopen in another county? Again, like I previously stated, uh, Johnson County guidance has not changed, and uh, that is to continue to avoid non-essential travel. And so it's best uh, not to pose that risk to others and other counties. Um, also from Adam at KCRG, how much testing is needed on average per day to be able to have a good assessment of how the virus is spreading and being able to contain it? Uh, I don't have an answer to that question, but uh, we're happy to see that uh, more testing will become available in the future through Test Iowa. Are you confident in being able to contain the spread in your county with neighboring counties reopening? Um, I don't have an answer to that. Uh, I know that going forward that we'll continue to implement our community mitigation measures that we have in place, uh, and we'll continue to uh, be mindful of, uh, of how we're continuing to do our case investigations and contact tracing, uh, as well as promoting um, uh, others to be tested uh, for those who are ill to stay home if they can, uh, and others to, to contact their local health care provider if they need to. Okay, this question is from Sarah Watson at the Daily Iowan. Has Johnson County Public Health Department made any changes to its operations now that other counties are taking steps to reopen? No, none at this time. Also from Sarah, last week you said very few conversations had happened yet about Johnson County reopening. Could you give us an, any update on whether you've now had conversations on a possible timeline of reopening? Uh, there may have been. Uh, I've not been a part of those conversations, uh, but I know that that's on everyone's mind, and uh, those, those conversations will uh, continue to occur. This is also from Sarah. What kind of precautions are you recommending for people who've recovered from the virus? Uh, again, uh, to be mindful, the same kind of mitigation measures and social distancing applies at uh, this time. So we haven't received any additional questions, but as with everyone, we're going to give it a little bit of lag time. All right. Thank you, Sam. All right. Thank you. That concludes our press conference for today. Uh, for those reporters, if uh, we missed a question because of the lag with the video, uh, we will make sure to get those to the appropriate party, um, and we'll make sure to copy you on that information. Uh, and again, thank you to everybody who participated, our community partners, for those watching online, and for the reporters who are watching as well. Uh, have a good day. Mm -hmm.